This show is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find the other great shows on the network, head over to the Deluxe Edition Network.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer, and joining me once again, Ray, the podcaster. How What's are going you, on, Casey? Hey, not much, man. Hey, we just recorded one hell of an episode with Bose Venson. Bose from uh, movies such as Delta Force, Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, what was the one you mentioned with him? Wizards and <laughs> uh, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. Yeah, Wizards of the Lost <laughs> Kingdom. He was Buford Pusser in Walking Tall uh, 2 and 3, and then also the series. You've all seen the uh, commercials for the world's most interesting man, the the Dos Equis commercials. Well, <laughs> in my opinion, Bo should be playing that role. Bo, I think, might be the most interesting man in the world. At, at one point during the interview, he was telling a story about something that he was that he was doing, and my hands were sweating that bad. I was like, <laughs> "Holy shit, this guy's fucking crazy!" Yeah, he's got stories upon stories. We could have talked to him for probably. Fuck, three or four days straight. Yeah. Yeah, incredible interview. We're not going to talk too long here. We're, we're just going to wrap this intro up and then get into the interview. It's uh, over two two hours long, so I'm just going to do the plugs real quick, and then uh, we're going to get you right into the interview. So uh, you can follow us at uh, Deluxe Edition Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We have a website. We're at deluxeedition.show. We have a network, the Deluxe Edition Network, and that can be found at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. And come join our Facebook group. We got a lot going on over there. You can check Ray out. He's at the Tencent Beer Night Podcast. I got it right this time. Yeah, you nailed it. (laughs) And uh, anything else? Did I miss anything, Ray? I don't believe so. I think we just need to get this ball rolling. Yeah. All right. We're going to we're going to shoot you right over into the interview right now. So thanks so much. And if you like us, uh, please tell your friends and uh, share this interview around because this was this was a this was a good one. We've I've had I talked to a lot of people and I've said this in the past, but uh, I think this might be my favorite one. Bo, so many stories. Just incredible. Yeah. I love a guy that when you interview him, you don't even have to say anything at all if you don't want to. Right. Literally, we could have just turned on the mic. And just walked away for two hours and come back and just stopped it. He was that good. Yeah, he's awesome, man. So uh, thank you so much for watching, and uh, we'll see you next week. We have uh, Stuntman Gary Davis next week, so come check us out. All right, see you, folks. Holy shit, it's fixed. And, can you can and you still hear us? I, I can hear you fine. You see, what, what you did is I saw you. You licked your lips, and that that changed everything. <laughs> Well, fuck, that's great. Now, who, the the dude with 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 a beard is lacking a sense of humor. Why is? How do you work? With <laughs> oh, trust me, he's got a sense of humor. He couldn't work with me. I guarantee it. <laughs> right. Can you? Right. So I'm gonna. I I have now disconnected you. All right. Um, I'm gonna call the hair and makeup people. <laughs> hair makeup. <laughs> I got I, this. I got this trick, man. I just put a hat on and say, "Fuck it." You walked with me. <laughs> All right, you got us now, Bo. 
Yeah, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> you look great, man. Well, let me go. Let me go. Oh, yeah. You see, I have a team of ladies I work with, <laughs> and they're going to give me shit if I. Are you men ready? Yeah. Hell Finally. yeah. Oh, yeah. Chase. <laughs> Bo, we we like to jump around on this show a lot. You look great, by the way, man. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you don't mind that we jump around your career quite a bit. Uh, Career? Yeah, we're it's not we're not going to go chronologically if that's all right. Huh? (laughs) I I I I've been preparing for weeks. (laughs) So have we for a chronological rendering. Hey, uh, the the dude, uh, 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 Olaf the Conqueror. Yes, um, yes. Where, where my, do you live? I live in Cleveland, Ohio. My name is Ray, and you are Bo. I uh, live in California. Who lives in California? And, and a bearded young man. Where do you I'm live? I'm Casey. I'm Casey, and I live in Tallahassee, Florida. So how do you two know each other? We met on the internet. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Isn't that just crazy? I guess. <laughs> hey, man, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's a crazy world. Anyhow, so here we are. I'm going to move this over to there. Okay. Yeah, hey, I'm here to uh, serve, so do your thing. <laughs> Bo, yes. I want to start. I want to start the the interview. Will you tell us your Pablo Escobar story? Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh gosh! I can. Do I want to? <laughs> why? Why? Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, you did. You did say you were here to serve. So yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Um. Right. Okay. So, it was 1812. (laughs) At some point in the middle part of that year, uh, my Italian agent had roped me in to do a picture called, whatever, I forget what it's called, Tides of War in Cartagena, Colombia. Planes did not fly to Cartagena, Colombia, so I had to fly into Barranquilla, Colombia. I did, because I'm very obedient. Make note of that. So as I get off the plane, this was a walk-off, you know, where you walk down a, a thing, and I see two guys standing on the tarmac, and I recognize these two people. And they were in civvies. So I said, you so and you, yeah. I said, "What are you? What, what? These were two men I had served with in the United States Marine Corps." Anyhow, I said, "What are you guys say? Oh, Bo, uh, well, Swede, we saw you on the manifesto. You know, passenger thing, passenger list. So we thought we'd come here and bother you." Well, all right, fine. So then they said, "Well, so uh, where are you going?" I said, um, "Going to Cartagena." Okay, right. Well. Here's our card. So if we get, if you need anything, um, uh, we're at the embassy. Uh, so if you have a problem, whatever, give us a call. I said fine. 
And oh, and then he added, our phones at the embassy are bugged. And so be careful of what you said. I said, okay, fine. So I got for a three, four hour ride to Cartagena, working on the movie, 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 say words, say words, say words, say more words. Oh, Jesus, who wrote this? <laughs> and then so a Saturday afternoon, I'm sitting in, in the hotel lobby, bored, and I see this horde of people come in, 16, 18, maybe even 20 guys sort of short guys, and he, he, every one of them had like a athletic bag, heavy athletic bag. And in the midst of this horde was this other itty-bitty guy with kind of oily hair over to the side. So, and I'm, I'm seeing them, they're coming in left to right, and I'm watching. So then the um, front desk was over my right shoulder some distance away, and I could see everybody there. They were all petrified. Made it. They straightened out real quick, and it was dead silence. So the, the horde disappeared. So that evening, I'm sitting by myself as I'm at. To, nobody wants to be with me. <laughs> so I'm by myself <laughs> having dinner at the hotel, and the hotel's name was Delfini. And anyhow, so I'm, I'm just about done and fabulous. Oh, the uh, uh, tropical trees, sloths. In the, I mean, it was an, 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 an absolutely amazing restaurant around a swimming pool. All right, so innocent lamps, here comes the horde. And I see the goons, man, they take up positions here and there. So, and then here comes the bitty guy. And he sits at a table, but two tables, two or three tables away. And the people between that table and me, they just got up and left. So, and I, oh, I get it. Okay. So the dude is important. Fine. Good for him. And so I'm finishing up my meal and I hear, hold on. Me? And the dude is doing this. And I went like that. <laughs> and so then a couple of goons came over and said, but they didn't say it this way. This is my recollection of what they said. Hola, senor, habla con el jefe. Uh, you know, like, come and talk to the boss. So I said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to finish my meal and pay, and I'll come over and say hello to them. So... I paid, I went over, I pulled out a chair, sat down next to him, and I said, and I'm fairly certain this is exactly what I said. I said, you got to be pretty important to have all these goons around you. <laughs> and his, his, he was a, not a really itty-bitty guy, but, you know, <laughs> maybe he weighed 210, whatever. His arm grabs my arm, and he says, very bad. I'm I'm improving <laughs> on his English. Anyhow, he made he let me know that he's so important he can't take a crap in his bathroom while feeling safe. 
So, uh, I mean, okay, I can't take a crap. I, I can't poop in my own bathroom uh, 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 and feel, oh, I can't feel safe pooping in my own bath- bathroom. I think that's probably what he said. Uh, I said, well, why don't you change your occupation then? <laughs> I'm, I'm a simpleton. If that doesn't work, well, change it. And then we talked some more, and I asked him, how many people? I said, okay, so you got all these people here, man. And then, so how many people do you got working for you? And he said, oh, 18, maybe 20,000. Oh. And this is, this is the memorable line from this meeting. I said, well, does it take a lot of guns to keep that many people controlled, doing what? No, no, senor. Quoting the dude. I give Levi's, Nike <laughs> shoes, much more powerful than guns. <laughs> and I reflected on that. There's a lot of truth in that, you know, because in South America, man, so even the poorest people have at one time or another seen television, right? At one time or another, they've seen people on television, whether it's Brad Pitt or whomever, and they, what do these people wear? Jeans and maybe Nike shoes or whatever, right? So that is a sign of success, of well-being, feel good. So these folks here, okay. So that's how he, this was, again, this was 88, I think. I think, yeah, I believe it was 88. So that's how he controlled these people. So we talked some more. And, um, right. And it, it, it doesn't matter. For the, <laughs> for the purpose of this thing here, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but he told me he had children and shit. And then he also said, uh, uh, he asked me, me some questions. He, he asked me, blah, blah, blah. And I said, he asked me if I had animals. And I said, yeah. We actually have 28, 29 animals. At the time, we had a bunch of chickens, and we had three or four dogs. And what, as I told him that, oh, and he told me, he told me, I think he said he had some elephants and some hippos. Oh. I don't think, I don't know. How I phrased it, but I think I told him that was dumb. <laughs> Anyhow, it doesn't matter, guys. I mean, I didn't know who the dude was, but I did. So after a while, you know, I, 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 I this was going nowhere. I was <laughs> done with this. So um, I went up to my room. So I called the embassy in uh, Barranquilla, some hours away. And, um, okay, so I want to talk to, I can't say the name of the dude, uh, uh, my former Marine buddy. I said, I can't. I said, may I speak with so-and-so? Uh, just a moment. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. That click, 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 click. Yeah. And then he said, so-and-so here. I said, okay. So I said, uh, uh, listen, um, uh, this is guy. I just had a conversation with. 
He said, and then he said, yeah, I don't want to know where you are. I said, fine. Well, I had this conversation with this guy and, and, uh, and I described him and, and I said, you know, who might this guy be? So he then can I swear on your, uh, Oh yeah. Program? Oh yeah. Oh, We're yeah. not faith based. <clears throat> no. <laughs> so he said, so this is my former Marine buddy. Now he said, and, and he was from New York. Listen, I don't know who the fuck you are, but don't ever call here again. You got that? <laughs> don't ever fucking call here again. Bang. Hung up on me. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> because it's now one o'clock in the morning. And I was being curious and nice. So, well, okay. So I went to bed, went to sleep, fell asleep. Four, five thirty, five o'clock, bang, 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 bang. So I get to the door and I, and and he opened. So both of these guys were there, standing there. And I, I in those days, I I, I slept naked. So they looked and I said, "Oh Jesus, put some clothes on and and come." I don't I don't know if they were impressed or felt sorry for me. I, I uh, whatever. Uh, uh, why is it looking like that? Uh, no. Uh, anyhow, so they left. Uh, we left. I went and put, put on clothes, and he said, "Come on, okay." So we walked out a, a side a side stairs, um, and I come outside the side of the hotel, and I see all these militia guys lining up, uh, M16s or whatever they had. Uh, I I didn't ask. I didn't go over and look. What you got there? What's your serial number? Um, I didn't do that. I just, and then, so they had this big ass blue Bronco. And I said, okay, hey, uh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. So I got in and it's like inch and a half plexiglass inside the, uh, the, the window. And it was like closing a safe. It was like being in Wells Fargo, going to a safe deposit. <laughs> So it was a very heavily armored car. Anyhow, so we drove off, and I said, "So what's going on?" Oh, that well, see the guy, the guy, the guy, the dude, whatever. Um, he's uh, like one of the most wanted men in the world. I and then he said his name is Pablo Escobar, and I what do I know? I'm just an actor. So what do I know? I didn't know. I didn't know anything about that. And um, so I said, oh, oh, so uh, if he's that heavy, oh, yeah, he's possibly the richest man in the world at this point. And yeah, he's heavy duty. I said, oh, okay. So, you know, being a little selfish, I said, well, so am I in trouble? And they said, oh, no, no. If he knew... If he knew you had called us, you'd be dead by now. Okay. <laughs> so they they drove me around Cartagena, and, uh, and that was it. That was it. <laughs> but I reflected on that because a year or two or whatever later, I saw in the news the dude. And, and I don't recall exactly if he was running on rooftops, but I... Uh, 
a, a bunch of Colombian uh, militia or cops or whatever. They were on the roof. And then I heard that, okay, so the dude, now, here's a lesson for us. I learned that he had slept in a what was like a coffin in the floor. And it was a four-inch or so vent that piped in fresh air. But there was like a coffin in the floor with a carpet over it. And then something for him to pee in. So I'm thinking, okay, there goes my ambition of being the richest man in the world. Because if, <laughs> if, if, if peeing in a bottle while hiding <laughs> under a carpet in a box or whatever on the floor, man... Uh, so I, so I, I, I reflected on having told the dude, you know, uh, I said, you know, maybe you should change your, your line of work or your <laughs> occupation or whatever. Well, uh, he did, but he, not the way he wanted to change it. All right, <laughs> done with that. You know what I get from that? Um, when you talked, you you referred to yourself as people calling you the Swede. Is that like yeah. your nickname to a lot of people? No, no, no. See, I was born in Sweden. Right. I know that, but I'm just saying, right. do a lot of people so call you the came, Swede? So I came to America when I was 17, and I am ever so grateful. Oh, man, am I ever. Uh, yeah, so a lot of people back in those days, you know, when I came when I came here, you know, I was young by a minute. Hello. How are you? What is your name? Um, it, it hasn't gotten much better over the years, but oh, uh, I'll disagree, man. Because your 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 uh, southern accent's pretty fucking good, man. And, and walking tall, I forget you're from Sweden. Watching that, oh, well, thank you. Well, yeah, thank you. You're very kind, too kind. How can you work a bearded one? How can you work with them? Um, <laughs> oh, bearded one. All right. So where were we? Oh, you are asking questions. Yeah. yeah, the reason the reason I wanted to start with that uh, with that story, Bo, is just to to show how. I mean, you were not intimidated. You see all these goons and thugs walk in. I mean, you didn't know at the time that he was the richest man in the world, but you were not intimidated one bit. I mean, you're you're like a man's man. Oh, I don't know, but I don't know about that. Uh, uh, I, uh, but anyhow, maybe. I, oh. <laughs> Oh, uh, later, no, wait a second. It was right around that same time, or was it later? I don't know. Um, I am doing a picture in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, and the U.S. ambassador had invited me for dinner. I don't know why. Maybe he was lonely. Um, so, uh, so they came, picked me up, Marine, um, picked me up, took me to the, uh, ambassador's residence and I could come in there and I see, uh, oh no, no, I'm doing it as backwards. <laughs> the hotel we were staying in, the, the, I guess some of the crew uh, and the other actors and whatever. I actually ended up directing this thing, but it, that, that's a different story. Um, so we were staying, well, we were shooting nights because it was a horror picture. 
uh, shooting nights. So I would come down at 10, 11 o'clock to have lunch, right? And every day there were two really sort of unpleasant-looking men sitting at the same table every day and smoking, smoking, smoke, chain smoking, smoke, chain smoking. And there were some really bad vibes around them. So one day I went over, pulled out a chair. Yeah, I'm fucking, I'm bored, man. You know, we're shooting nights. Um, so I pulled up a chair and I said, hello, my name is Bo. I'm here making a movie. And, and who are you? And uh, okay. So they told me the names. I, whatever. And they said, they let me know that uh, they owned a hotel. Oh, okay. And then I said, well, I thought the Yugoslavian basketball team Red Star owned a hotel. Well, we own that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and I, they, these people, they were just not pleasant, you know. But I, then I found out, you know, they, they were very anti-American. Oh, America's a bad thing. And I commented, I said, well, so America can't be that bad because you guys are smoking Marlboros. <laughs> and uh, yada, 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 yada. Anyhow, so then, okay, right around the same time, I had this invitation from the embassy, the ambassador, blah, 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 went to his house, and I come in there, and they're packing everything. Big boxes, Marines and other people are putting all their stuff in boxes and carrying them away. And I said, and at the and then Bassett was it was there was a table set up for Din Din and and Bingo. He had his chair, I had my you know plate and all of that. I'm eating. I said, you know, <laughs> all this thing going on over here. What's going on? Oh, well, we're shutting down the embassy. I said, why? Oh. Uh, th- there's going to be a civil war tomorrow. Oh, well, thank you for thank you for have, letting me have this one last meal. Um, and anyhow, really, I uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, Yugoslavia is going to be breaking up. And oh, okay, fine. So driving, getting driving back to the hotel that night. Um, Oh, there were uh, APC, uh, armored personnel carriers and tanks and shit in the streets and big, you know, eight, uh, trucks, uh, 18-ton trucks with people in and there's a lot of hustle and bustle and all of that. So I get back to my hotel. And I'm talking to my wife. Uh, I said, you know, this place is getting really weird, blah, blah, blah. And as I'm talking to her, I hear this tremendous commotion. So I was on the sixth floor or whatever of this hotel. So I look out and here was the river Sava was right there. And over it was a bridge. Um, And here came what I'd learned later were a quarter of a million people, Serbs up in arms, you know? So, okay. Make a long story short. The two, men whose lunch I had interrupted um, (laughs) were Slobodan Milosevic and Radovan Karadzic. 
And that evening when all those people, that was the beginning of the civil war Hmm. that ended what we knew then as Yugoslavia. So (laughs) being in this business, we meet the oddest people. And I have met these oddest people. Hmm. Some of the oddest, of course, were actors, but um, (laughs) also others. You know, and and it's amazing, uh, uh, kings and queens and and what have you. So, yeah, being in this business has been interesting. I but like I, how you describe that to your your wife as uh, something weird's going on when a, an entire country is about to change hands. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but I mean, I'm not clairvoyant. I'm fairly hot. <laughs> but I I mean, I see this horde of people, and I knew they weren't coming. F- for me, um, but anyhow, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a story for you. I headlined a movie called, it was then called Virus. They changed the mm-hmm. name. I don't know why. We're filming at the South Pole. Chuck Connors was also in the movie. Uh, and Glenn Ford and George Kennedy, but they were not at the South Pole. And Chuck Connors, here's my height. He's really kind of manly, even though he had he had done some unmanly movies uh, <laughs> back in his youth uh, when he was undecided uh, about certain things about himself. Um, but he was very manly, very, uh, very uh, the rifleman, right? Yes. Um, but he said, so we're filming at the South Pole aboard this ship called the... Piloto Pardo, Chilean ship. Um, and and we were living on a Swedish flagged ship called a Lindblad Explorer. Cruise ship. It was, fun. It was great, man. All the, <laughs> that was back in my drinking days. So, um, oh, I really liked that ship. My time. <laughs> um, who was that? That's my son. Hey, son, how's it going, man? Step oh in my there. god! I got. I have to see what you're offering. Offering. Hey, dude, what's going <laughs> on? Give him the thumbs up and get out of my screen. Ah, get <laughs> that's not a thumb. Where I that's a uh, that's what that's what I'm stuck dealing with here. Jesus Christ! Uh, where were He's, we? He's ten, so you got to forgive him. He's he's no, learning no, all the the words. Oh, that's wonderful. What a great age! Yeah, uh, that's a great oh, age. So, yeah, uh, let me see now. Where were we? Oh yes, at South Pole. So the Lindblad Explorer was a ship we were on, and that's where we were living. And there was the Piloto Pardo, etc. And so on Christmas Eve. Oh, so Chuck kept saying. This was now mid-December. I got to get off here. Hey, Bo. Bo, I got to get off this damn thing. This thing, we're going to die here. I know this thing's going to sink. It's going to sink, Bo. Oh, it's going to sink. I'm telling you. Oh, it's going to sink. All right. So that's the best Chuck Connors I can do. Um, Anyhow, so he browbeat our Japanese producer into letting him off the ship. So Chuck got off the ship 
and got on a ship called a Pilota Parda, which was a Chilean naval vessel, and off back to South America they went. Christmas Eve, four or five days after Chucko, baby, <laughs> made his escape. Christmas Eve, 11.26 a.m., December 24. This Lindblad explorer, manned by a very professional Swedish crew, doing 24 knots, and the captain, what was the first, oh, captain, decided we're going to do a shortcut. Doing a shortcut, and wouldn't you know it, Right where the shortcut was, a volcano emerges right in the path of the ship, and the ship hit, (laughs) broke the keel in four places, so the ship is starting to take on water. Here comes a Russian ocean-going tug called the hurricane. And the Piloto Pardo, having just deposited Chuck Connors back in South America, was returning with supplies, film supplies, or whatever. So here it comes, as our ship, the Lindblad Explorer, began to explore the bottom (laughs) of the ocean at the South Pole. So... um, Anyhow, uh, oh, so we were four people left on the ship because the Russian ship took all the Swedes. But you see, because I was considered American, the (laughs) Russians didn't want me. So I stayed on the ship along with the captain and the first mate or maybe the chief steward. And, oh, yeah, a Canadian guy, lovely guy, Tony Robineau. So we all sort of went down into the hold because we knew that the ship was going down. So we helped ourselves to champagne. <laughs> and, oh, three $400 bottles of pristine Chandon. Never taste as good as when you're sitting on the poop deck of a ship that is sinking <laughs> at the South Pole. And we cheered each other. Oh, it was wonderful. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. A little more. <laughs> and here comes a submarine called a Simpson. It was a diesel-powered Simpson uh, uh, sub that the Chileans had bought from... Um, whatchamacallit, from the U.S. Navy. So it was on the Simpson, a submarine, that I was returned to South America. And, there was the, and of course, all the bunks on submarines, they are filled with people who have duties. <laughs> oh, crap. So I got the bunk of someone, must have been some junior guy, because on my bunk was a big red wheel that they would now and then 
So I'm trying to sleep and I couldn't turn because there's a wheel right there. Couldn't turn. So I would sleep hugging the wheel. Oh, man. Oh, what a trip that was. So, and then they would come and poke on me and they, they had to turn the wheel. And I, I never figured out what it was. I didn't care what it was for. Uh, but, oh, and there was a problem with the sub. So we had to return. We had to cross Drake's passage on the surface. <laughs> so this sub man is doing 60, 65, and oh, I guess, oh it's going to flip over. It's going to flip over. Oh, it's not flipping over. Okay, that's good. Oh, now it's going to flip. Oh, oh, it's going to flip. It's going to flip. It's gonna, is it going to flip? And then, como se dice? No, no. Is it going to flip? Is it going to flip? Oh, it's going to flip. Oh, man, that was like two, two, two days of that stuff, man. Wow. So this business is not boring. <laughs> that's I can't imagine you on a that's that that would be a sight to see is you on a submarine. Aren't you like six six? Oh uh, yeah, six five, six six, something like that. Oh, wait a second. Here's my so highly mentioned- doubting yeah, we were highly doubting that you could get down the aisles on a submarine with someone coming oh, the other no, no, no. direction. Oh yeah, you know what? <laughs> oh I ha oh they gave me they gave me a little thing and they wrote I hate this fucking boat or <laughs> they, they had written that quoting me because <laughs> yeah I mean yeah. I hit my head a lot. Oh yeah. Because yeah you know, boat is doing this. Uh oh yeah. here we go. We're going over uh oh uh oh <laughs> no we're not doing that and doing that. Anyhow. All right. Sorry I digress. Yeah, I've toured. Uh, I've toured submarines. They're they're not. Fu- I'm six two. I, they're they're hard to get around. Um, you mentioned you left Sweden at the age of seventeen. Yes. I know that you had you had fifty dollars in your pocket. You you made it all the way to Chicago. Yeah. You spent a dollar on a hamburger. Nope, in New York. Oh, okay. And here, this is. Oh, actually, this. I. I. It was not amusing at the time, but you know. <laughs> 17 cocky, you know, I'd taken English at school, you know, I got this, man, I got this. <laughs> so I, I landed in New York, I forget what the airport's name was. But in those days, to get to America from Sweden, you had to fly from Sweden to Norway, from Norway to Iceland, uh, Ireland, Prestwick, or Scotland, uh, Prestwick, wherever that is, Prestwick, Scotland, Iceland, Iceland, Greenland, Greenland, uh, Gander, Newfoundland, Newfoundland, New York. Because, you know, these were not jets, man. These were, right. yeah. Anyhow, so I arrived in New York and, and, and I'm hungry. Um, so I, oh, I thought, oh, I'm in, I'm in America. I'm going to have a hamburger. Yes. So I went over and I, I to a guy and I said, uh, so I, I'd like to have uh, one of those it went in my Swedish, and he said, so "What you want to eat? What gonna have? Gonna have a what? What you gonna have? Petkus? What you gonna have?" I said, "What? I couldn't understand a word he was saying. Not a word, and it was humiliating. Oh, I thought, oh crap! All those years of English, and I don't understand. And I don't understand. I, I said, pardon me." And then more New York kind of Brooklyn yeah. kind of oh, he does just get to the point, you know. What are you 
what are you going to have on it? What? Whatever. Anyhow. Yeah. So that, that, that's right. So I had 50 bucks, but I spent some of it on that hamburger. The next flight was to Chicago. Tired, man. So get off the flight, you know. So I sat on a bench. I fell asleep. Oh, woke up. My money was gone. It was all gone. So I got a cop, and 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 and, and um, I said, you know, I'm supposed to be in, I think it was Antioch or Kenosha. I said, but I don't have any money. Someone took my money. So they the so the that airport cop they drove me to the end of their jurisdiction, and then the next jurisdiction picked me up. To their the end of their just because I came up I was gonna play I was gonna I was I was a hockey goalie anyhow so yeah so that was my so yes <laughs> I stopped with nothing yes so that was your when you left Sweden and came to the United States that was your goal you were gonna be a hockey player well I kind of was I mean I was a pretty good goalie uh, <laughs> uh, right. But that was not meant to be because then in the second preseason game, the uh, the defenseman, a one of the defensemen, fell back on my left leg, so it bent in the wrong direction, and that was the end of that. So then watching, so then we didn't have television this week, you know, uh, the polar bears wouldn't let us, uh, <laughs> but. So, but there was television, black and white television, and my leg is in the cast, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And um, so I see, oh wow, the guys with uniforms, they get the girls. <laughs> so I talked to my coach. I said, I like, I like one of them uniforms. What kind? Which one do you want? I said, "Oh, the blue, the with the <laughs> white hats. Oh, the marine. Yeah, marine. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, marine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So he got me to a uh, marine recruiter, and right, and that was Kenosha and Antioch. I forget what the hell that was. <laughs> so you have to do n- deep knee bends in those days. Well, I just gotten out of this one. I, uh, so I broke my knee in September, and this was February, I think. So, uh, right, anyhow, so I had to do knee, deep knee bends. So I'm doing, an, uh, and, you know, you got six, seven, eight guys, recruits standing, you're doing, you know, well, I didn't, I passed out, bang. I couldn't do it, bang, passed out. So my coach drove me to Milwaukee to another recruiter uh, situation. And when it was time for the deep knee bends, my coach takes the recruiter, and, and uh, the doctor rather, and he's talking to the doctor. So how long have you been a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, would, I only did, did like I kind of curtsied, you know, like I was a girl. <laughs> That was as far as I could do it. 
Anyhow, by the time, so, so I got through the physical. So by the time I landed, arrived at MCRD San Diego, um, and they, they discovered, oh, oh, this one, he's got a bad, oh, he's, this guy, how in the hell did he get through the physical? But then, then they heard me talk, you know, yum by yum and, and all of a sudden. I was, I, be, I was a bit of an anomaly, kind of an am, amusement, besides I was tall. So they figured, oh, yeah, no, no, let's, let's give him, let's see if we can't get him through boot camp because, oh, yeah. And then we'll put him up front so he'll be one of the first to go before one of, you know, he'll take, He'll take a bullet for one of us. Oh God uh, damn! You're a you're a big man. I I would not want to see you screaming and running at me. I'll tell you that right now. Well, yeah. Well, anyhow. So there, <laughs> there you have it. So that 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 uh, yeah. Well, thank you for your service. I know you can't talk yes. about uh, your time in the Marine Corps, but thank you very much for your service. My dad yeah, was I, in I, the uh, Marines as well. I I actually have my VA card here somewhere. I do. I have my. <laughs> Um, right. Where were we? We were just talking about uh, your career. So how <laughs> did we learn anything? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. So did, was acting anywhere in your, I mean, did you want to, was that anywhere in your dreams or anything? You came, you were, when you came to the States, did you already have the gig as the hockey player? I did. I did. There was a tryout thing. Sure. But it didn't go anywhere because I had a broken leg. Right. Right. So then, in Sweden, in Sweden, my mother was a big band leader, so she had an orchestra. Uh, depending on the gig, it was twelve people, as many as eighteen. So through her, um, I had sort of oh, that's right, one of my first coaches. Um, that's right. That's how that happened too. So one of my first coaches, um, goalie coaches, right? He said, you know, your legs, man, chicken legs. We got to do something about that. So, um, so then, oh, that's right. So I started with ballet because ballet, you know, you got to be graceful, man. It's good. You move quick and, and strong and all of that. So I started with that, and somehow, through my mother, I had gotten to a brilliant guy, Cederhoek. Oh, he was fantastic. He wrote skit, uh, skits for cabarets. And so somehow I ended up, he hired me to, and I was 14 or so. So I ended up um, uh, singing and doing skits in this uh, traveling cabaret. So that's the only acting I've done. Um, right. Right. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> where were we? Uh, where do you want to go? Oh, no, acting. Oh, no, God, no. Even to this day, I abhor acting. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, I pretty mean, good. You're pretty good at it, though. <laughs> well, it's not acting, man. Yeah. That's not acting. Well, it is if you use the definition of to act is to be. And the greatest actors of all kind, time are the ones who have the courage to be themselves within the given circumstances. 
<laughs> you take Jack Nicholson, for instance. Well, Jack <laughs> is the same guy in everything you see him do. Yeah. And that takes tremendous courage and skill to assimilate yourself into different environments and react <laughs> honestly. They teach acting. They teach how to act. They, oh, yeah. yes, okay. No, that's not what that's not what the gig is about. Because <laughs> the world evolves around honesty. For instance, take the word art. What's the origin of the word art? The three first three letters of the word artificial. The greater the art, the less noticeable the artificiality. So these acting schools, if they teach people to be pretend to be the last leaf falling <laughs> off the oak tree in autumn, or, you know, yeah. so the most admirable actors that I know of are the ones who have the courage to be themselves within the <clears throat> circumstances. Now, see, I find that kind of weird because like I've seen you in a lot of movies where like uh I want to say like North uh North Dallas 40 where you're playing uh what's his name yeah, Joe, Joe Bob yeah Joe Bob and you're and there's a scene in there where you're talking about how tired and hurt you are that's an amazing scene and it's completely different from like Snow Beast where I first saw you <laughs> Yeah right and it's well, it's hey, so man, it's, it's so goddamn different and then I recently I didn't know this movie existed until recently um Special Delivery Dude, I love that movie. Oh, I know. wait a second. There's man, a that's a good movie. Well, hey, man, you know, there's a story there. So we did the movie. I talked to Patrick Wayne about this recently. Uh, I met him at some function. So we did the movie. The movie played at uh, Cinerama Dome was the premiere. And... What, but no, actually, yeah, right about at the same time, John Wayne, for some reason, uh, was curious about me. So he had a screening of special delivery. <laughs> and so he's sitting watching it. And then what he said, hold it. I own this movie. Oh, no. And what do you, what, uh, what do you mean? That's my screenplay. I bought that screenplay. It's mine. Make a long story short. John Wayne had bought a screenplay called, I think maybe whatever. He had stopped at his favorite bar on Sunset Boulevard on his way to Newport. Having a few drinks, and he had the screenplay, and he had, I guess, flipped through it or whatever, few drinky poos, but, <laughs> and he leaves, and he leaves the screenplay behind. <laughs> the bartender's name was Don Gazaniga. Well, Mister Gazaniga was no fool. He flipped pretty good. <laughs> this is entertaining. 
He typed up a new title page. Screenplay <laughs> by Don Gazaniga. Sold this to Bing Crosby Productions that hired me to, and and of course, hired, got the production going. We made the movie and bingo. And then John Wayne, no, no. So John Wayne stopped the movie. Hmm from being distributed. So there's, yeah. But then I guess he relented or whatever. Uh, Chuck Pratt, Pratt, who was the CEO of, of uh, Bing Crosby Productions, I think <laughs> he and, and, and Mr. Wayne were of the same political persuasion. So maybe that, so, uh, so, so the film was released to some extent. Hmm. Right. Well, my other question for you about that movie specifically is um, Sybil Shepherd's in that movie. And I promise not to tell your wife, but how cool was it to make out with her when she was that smoking hot? Well, young man, <laughs> um, she's no doubt a very nice person. Yes. But I wasn't into Sybil. Wow. Yeah, that's one of my many shortcomings. <laughs> um, right. Nice person. I understand she uh, did very well. Mm-hmm. I-, I think Mr. Bogdanovich is still with us, is he? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Pete's still with us anymore, but uh, yeah, they had a thing. And I, God bless them both. Yeah. Right. No, uh, <laughs> you know, it, there was, I don't recall any chemistry. Ah, <laughs> that's a damn shame. <laughs> well, it is what it is, man. And I will say this, John Wayne stole his personality from his stuntman, and I bet if the two of you would have fist fought over that movie, you would have won. Well, who knows? But you <laughs> know what? Speaking of John Wayne... When he passed away, Paul Monash called my agent, and I was offered $625,000 to portray John Wayne in a motion picture to be called Shooting Star. Wow. I couldn't do it, man. I don't blame you. I couldn't do it because no, I, I just uh ha ha ha. I like I couldn't do it. That it it w- w- would not be fair. It would not be the right thing to do. But six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars is a lot of money. That is, yeah, yeah, that is a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm but, but, what, but but what's your what's your integrity worth? Apparently not six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. So no, it's not. I've done a bunch of dumbass movies, and later <laughs> I, I said, "Oh, why did I do? Oh, why did I do that?" And then, oh yeah, the money. Oh yeah, it was the money, right? I, I that happened many, 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 many times. Well, going back to what you said about people, you know, you you basically were just yourself in these movies. 
doing the research that I did for this uh, this interview, I've been watching a lot of uh, your old movies that I was not familiar with, and it seems like like you said, I believe everything that you're doing in those movies. Like how how many of the your own stunts were you doing at the time? You know, I have an utmost respect for stunt guys. Utmost, utmost, and I understand them. There are many of them who are pissed off because they feel and felt that I deprived them of income. (laughs) And no doubt did I do that. For instance, in The Great Walter Pepper, I knew that the studio, Universal, had enjoined George Roy Hill from... uh, any wing wing walking. There could not be any wing walking in the movie. And George Ray Hill and I were we didn't get along that well. But I liked him and I wanted to do something for him. So sitting in a bar, uh I think I was on Friday evening, uh and I was never much of a drinker. Well, there were times when I was, but anyhow, <laughs> then well, I wasn't. Um, uh, Jim Appleby, who was one of the stunt pilots, I was talking with Jim, and I said, you know, why don't we go up and do that sequence? And he said, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. So, Jim got the Robert Redford mask and and a and an Ariflex with a four hundred foot mag, and uh, and so we took up uh, I don't know if it was a Jenny or steer, whatever it was. We so we rigged the camera so that I was in the front cockpit and then he was uh, Jim was in the in in the uh, aft cockpit. We rigged it so that when I came out of the front cockpit and got out on the wing, you could see it was me. <laughs> so we took off and they were around four or 5,000 feet. doesn't matter, man. If you're going to fall off a plane, if it's a 1,000 <laughs> feet or 5,000 feet, it doesn't make much of a difference. The, the, the wet spot may be a little different, that's all. Um, so we get on up there and uh, uh, so he tapped on, he was ready, so he tapped me on the shoulder so I got out of, the, out of the cockpit and I climb out onto the wing and it, there are two sets of struts. You know, you have, these are the vertical things that hold that hold the two wings together, upper and lower. So I get to the first set of struts and I look back at him and he, okay, so yeah, I get out between the first and the second second set of struts. This is where the uh, wires cross like this. So I get there, and I'm now I'm just about at the center of the X uh, when I see the horizon doing this. <laughs> and he's picking up airspeed, man. So he is now he is descending, and I'm looking back at him. And I'm I, I, I'm holding the wire, and I'm looking back at him, and he is doing this. <laughs> and before I knew it, bingo! My feet, my 
I, I, I think I was on my knees at that point. My feet came out. I'm hanging like a pennant. Jesus. And, and I'm looking back at Appleby, and, and he is still doing his knee, I mean, head jerk like this. And then, oh, crap. And then, so, oh, now, so instead of looking right down at the ground, okay, so now here comes the horizon. Oh, goody, goody, goody. And as the horizon come up, then my um, knees contacted with the, uh, with the wing, and, um, and I moved back into the airplane and stepped through the wing because I was, it was a little, this was not one of my favorite experiences. <laughs> um, and I stepped, okay, get back in the cockpit. <laughs> so then when we, we did a military deep brief, it sounded like this. What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> Uh, so then we debriefed, and we um, we then figured out when back in the 1920s when they did wing walking, the guys who did that weighed 110, 115, maybe a hundred. I weighed 225, 230. You get that weight up there. Bingo on the wing and up, and it's the drag and all of that. So anyhow, oh stunts, <laughs> right? So that uh, so that's one of stunts. Oh yeah. So what happened? Oh yeah, that's right. So we took the film. Yeah, was somebody? I hope somebody was filming that. Was somebody filming that? No, man. This is. Where were you when I started this story? Were you? <laughs> Appleby had the Aeroflex over his left shoulder. So he started it, and when he tapped me on the shoulder, that meant the camera was rolling. You wouldn't know about that because you're all video. Um, <laughs> so any, anyhow, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, we filmed this. It's in the movie, dude. Okay. I didn't, well, I'm sorry. I didn't get to that one yet. It's on my list. That's two demerits. Um, I will tell you this about that movie, Casey. The cinema, the cinematography in that film is fucking amazing with the stunts. Oh, Mr. The, Sturges. The, the cameras are just in the planes, and they're moving around, and it's amazing because that's the 70s, man. That's right. amazing camera work for what oh, they so did. Hey, oh, so, hey, guys. Uh, my wife is going to tell me this dinner is going to be ready here any minute now. What time is it? Oh, no, maybe, yeah. All right, so, okay, so we took the film, taped it, put it in so that on Monday, the film got in with the exposed film from Monday. And then, because they had shuttles, so they they flew that, all the canisters flew back to L.A. Monday evening. So I think it was on Saturday, I mean, Tuesday morning, it must have been, when Lou Wasserman, who ran Universal, saw the dailies. <laughs> in the dailies, in the dailies, you, you see Bo doing all this stuff on the wing, and then at the end, and he's coming back now uh, towards the cockpit, 
and then he steps through the wing, and then <laughs> we have run out of film. <laughs> so what, Was, Mr. Wasserman, as I, as I have heard it, Mr. Wasserman called George Roy Hill on the set and said, is that Svensson guy still with us? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyhow. Uh, so, yeah, that goes back to this thing. And, you know, when it comes to people like myself and stunts, it's ego, man. It's too much testosterone and false pride sometimes and and what have you. And I, 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 and, and, and I, I own up to them. Yes, I <laughs> absolutely. I did a lot of things shouldn't have done. Because a it deprived a stunt guy of a I, I forget the, the, the they they oh bump they get a bump because a stunt guy is hired by the day and if they fall down or if they have to do something they get a bump mm-hmm. so I deprived and and it's it's youth uh, ego whatever you hubris whatever you want to call it. I never got paid to do any of the dumb shit I did as a kid, and it still happens. So it is what it how is, man. People, hey, dude, how many people <laughs> confuse you with what's his name? <laughs> what's his name? Which yeah. one? Our one of my favorite singers of all time. Oh God, is it? Is are you going to say Rod Stewart or Brian Adams? Because <laughs> no, I get that a lot. I get Billy Idol. I get Vince Neil. I'm sure you get all you get all the same comparisons to any big blonde guy. Texan, the who? Uh, Willie, our most famous singer from Texas, Willie Nelson. Yeah, I I see the comparison, but I don't think I've ever gotten that one. A young Willie. Yeah, no one's ever told me I look like Willie. Oh well, but I I can kind of see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, because you have, he's got a wonderful manhood coupled with great artistry and a great deal of ethos and pathos. I mean, Mm. he is, talk about someone who is incredibly artistic, has huge emotional span. I mean, wow. The, he is what an admirable man he is. Yeah, I'll take that comparison all day long. Thank you, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love Willie. <laughs> yeah, we, fantastic. Do we still have you for a little? For, do we still have you for a little bit, Bo? Yeah, go ahead. I, all I right. So we, we got a uh, we have a ton of uh, of questions. Today's the today's actually the day that uh, Buford Pusser passed away in a car accident. August twenty yeah. first, nineteen seventy four. Uh, right. You famously played Buford in Walking Tall two and three, and then also the uh, the TV series. I have right. a few of my I have a few questions of my own f- about uh, about that. Uh, before we get into, we have a bunch of fan questions. Also, um, uh, is it true? I heard you got a bunch of death threats for playing the yeah, role. It's true. Um, on part two, Walking Tall. Um, arrived in Jackson, Tennessee. I forget it was a Holiday Inn, uh, maybe a Holiday Inn. 
Which was the hotel, Howard Johnson or Holiday Inn? Both. Okay. Well, whatever <laughs> it was. So, yeah, man, I got uh, phone calls. Um, I remember the first one sounded pretty much like this. Mr. Bo, you ought not make a hero out of Buford Pusson. He was not a good man. So we're going to get you. We're going to get you. Click. So I, a captain at the Jacksonville PD. Um, oh, this is funny. That's actually a fun story here. So he came over, gave me a 38, snub nose 38, you know. Um, right. Oh, gee whiz. I now remember. That's a fun. Yeah. So I, we knew that, oh, there were the death threats. Uh, I think the FBI kind of monitored, uh, but it, it a TBI, you know, Tennessee Bureau of Investigating, all of that. But, oh, man. So one night, I used to go to dinner with this one actor. I can't say his name because he may not want that. He may not want anyone to know that we socialize uh, or had dinner together. Anyhow, so we go for dinner, and we always took a police car because they were just sitting there, you know. So, so I took a police car, drive out from the Holiday Inn, I think, up on what's called the I-40 bypass. And it's at night, and we had all these threats and this and that. And all. So, so we get up on the I-40, and I said, lights come on, on a car in the parking lot. And the guy, and I can see, it. oh, he's coming up fast. So I told, oh, he was such a nice man, too. I think he might have passed away, though. So I told, I said, get down. And I hit it, man. So we're, And these were very powerful police cars. And we could do 120 of them. Uh, so, and the guy is gaining on me. So I'm thinking, oh, crap, this is not going to turn out well. But. So I kind of slowed down a little bit, and then I stepped on the parking brake because that's how you spin a car out. So I spun the car out so that the dude flew past me, and then I got up behind him, and then I floored it, and he slowed down. So I floored it, and I nailed him in from behind me, and bingo, forced him into a light post. And, okay, so I'm out of the car, and I had to yank to get the driver door open because the car was all beat to shit because uh, he had been in the light post and whatever. So uh, so I yanked the car door open, and I grabbed the guy down on the ground and stick the 38 in his face, and, and, and he looks up at me. I'm so embarrassed. So the guy says, Mr. Bo, can I have your autograph? <laughs> Mr. Bo, can I have your autograph? So he was just a fan of yours. Well, that's not how you go about getting an autograph, folks. <laughs> no, well, I have. I'm going to ask though. No, but I mean, he he just wanted to catch up, and and but and when we got to our destination, I'm sure. He was going to come out and say, can I have your autograph? But, but, uh, 
He got did, to say it, but in a different situation. Did Did he get the autograph? Oh, or not. There you go. So that's <laughs> the way you get Bo's autograph. Hey, man, that thing cost me $8,900. The guy was a very nice, he was a used car salesman. He worked for a Cadillac dealership in Jackson. And I had to do, so eight, I, I, I seem to recall it was $8,900, but I paid for his car. Do you even remember what car that was that was moving so fast to catch you? Well, I think it, it must, it, it probably, I, you know, I don't remember. Um, Man, that's a badass car to catch up with what you were driving. Well, except if it was a Cadillac, um, it might have been, or I don't know. It could have been, but I was, the kind <laughs> of car it was was of less importance to Bobo. <laughs> Bobo did not care. Right. Oh, oh yeah. They took, I gave the gun back. <laughs> I gave the 38 back. Surprised they didn't ask for it back after that. Well, and I don't recall if they asked for it or not, but that, that, that captain with the Jackson PD was a very nice man. And, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I felt now, now I, I'm getting into it a little too. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, back on uh, back on the Walking Tall series. Um, after after part two, were there there weren't any plans for a part three, was there? I have no idea. After part two, I don't know what I was doing, but I do know one thing. After I had done the Great Walter Pepper, I was on the path to become an A uh, actor. Mm-hmm. So doing Walking Tall, so then the people at the major studios, now Bo is is doing B movies, even though the Walking Tall things were kind of popular and all of that. And then, so there was, oh yeah, it was part two Walking Tall, special delivery, final Breaking points in there too. Oh, breaking point was maybe, yeah. We shot that in Canada, right? Yeah. Bob the reason I said that is because I just I just watched all of these, and at the end of the second I one, told you, no, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the second one, they show his death certificate, and they announce that he died. Uh, that's why I just kind of thought maybe you know maybe they were cashing in on number three after because I don't think. I mean, if they they put his his death in the second one, and then they brought him back for number three, so they, they did. And then um, Brendan Tartikoff called me in some years later because he had seen the numbers. They had run final chapter or one of my Walking Talls. They had run that as a movie of the week on NBC, and the overnight numbers came in, and they were very impressive. So Tartikoff got a hold of my agents at ICM and uh, does Bo want to do a pilot? And I said, why? Why should I do a pilot? 
played this dude twice. I mean, either you like what I did or you don't. So we did um, six or eight on the air or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, right. So, right. And, and you know, t- talking about the walking tall movies, those were very important to a relatively large segment of uh, the population here in America, as well as in Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, somehow, so much of motion pictures and television ignore rural America. Um, all, and, and when they make something about rural America, it's denigrated or... Um, in other words, the the visceral importance is often lacking. Yeah, the, so, the the stereotype is that people from the south are stupid. So how could they be in? You know, how could the movie be good if everyone from there is stupid? It's similar to like uh, in the Heat of the Night, another great movie that gets treated that same way. Well, and whatever the reason is, but for for certain, one factor is that agents and managers and Hollywood producers and writers, they don't have much affinity for people who live in what's called a C and D markets. A market is the L.A., Chicago, New York, and then we have the B markets that would be the... Philadelphia's and what have you, right? And the C and D markets, rural America. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't really float a lot of people's boat in the business to be doing stuff that's going to be popular in those markets. And it's unfortunate because that's the real America. Um, uh, for instance, Tennessee, um, Tennessee is called a volunteer state. Yep. New York, Empire State. Philly or West Virginia, whatever, for lovers. It's for lovers. (laughs) Now, take Tennessee, man. Why is it called a volunteer state? Well, Tennessee provides more men and women volunteers for our armed forces than any other state. So here you have a state, six million people, and and the usually the economy, it's not very good. There are a lot of things in, in Tennessee that uh, cause young people to, to uh, see the armed forces as a better alternative. But we who live in the big cities, we oftentimes, and I'm, um, forgive me if I'm on a soapbox here, but having having worked in these um, areas, um, I have an affinity for these people. These are really good people uh, and oftentimes saddled with uh, uh, difficult circumstances, and they make the best of it. Um, they don't have as much of everything as many of us others do. They deserve respect. They deserve programs that 
in essence, if not eulogize them, pay tribute to their toil and their accomplishment, their humanity. Oh, but absolutely. That's, uh, that's See, my, my family's from Tennessee. I absolutely know what you're talking about. Oh, okay, well, there you go. And you see, it's more difficult to write for folks in Tennessee or Alabama, Arkansas, and pay respect and be respectful. It's easy to go stereotypical Bubba's and <laughs> Ellie May or, or whatever it is, you know. Yep. And, and and it and and it, it's it's a bit of a shame because there's so much worthwhileness in America outside. Clearly, uh, clearly, uh, yes. Sorry, I, I'm a, I was on the soapbox there. I'll get off. Yeah, that's all right. You can do whatever you want. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we okay. don't care. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, well, a few more. <laughs> A few more questions about uh, Walking Tall. Uh, we have a fan question here from Michael Netherton. Uh, he wants to know about your screenplay, uh, Buford Returns. Wow. <laughs> well, I can't talk about it. <laughs> but let's put it this way. My screenplays of if you look on IMDb or whatever, oh, just yesterday, one of my screenplays called The Dream of America is nominated for Best Original Story, Cannes World Film Festival. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so I am really keen on good story and what have you. So, so when they say have, when they know, say okay. screenplay, that's just that's just the written version. It's nothing. Nothing is complete yet, other than the the screenplay itself, right? Of of that one, right? The Dream of America. Yeah, but I have. A, I I I believe I have. Uh, one of the ladies works with me. She's. I, I think we have thirty three zero major film festival wins with my four screenplays that are... Anyhow, I have digressed. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yes, I have something in mind for Tennessee. Um, and, and the way I want to do this is I want it to benefit the state of Tennessee, the people of Tennessee. I want the state of Tennessee to own the picture. Hmm. And I want the picture to be a backdoor pilot for a television series. And I want it set in West Tennessee. And I want it to deal with the challenges as I see them in, in America today. For instance, methamphetamine. Why? Why? Well, I believe that there is so much feel bad in America for a multitude of reasons, inequities. We pay more attention to those who make a lot of noise or are, uh, whether it's the, uh, not anyhow, uh, it's like the, 
people, I, 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 I need to be uh, very careful what I say here. It's like the group of the month that gets a lot of attention. But when we look at rural America, it's not, it's not cool to pay attention to people in rural America. So oftentimes in these areas where the economy isn't great, unemployment is high, wages are low. So we all, we all, people, we are united by, by a, a, a deep-seated wish to be validated by others as we know ourselves to be. In other words, the, 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 the better part of ourselves, oh, we want others to recognize that so that we feel validated. Well, if you're not a great-looking guy or girl, if you don't have a great deal of money or a position in society or whatever, oftentimes people will feel left out. And what do you do when you feel left out? Well, that hurts. It's a kind of a burning. It's a gnawing feeling deep within you, and you don't know why it's there, because we don't always uh, uh, articulate what we feel. We don't intellectualize it. We just know we don't feel, I'm not, I, I don't feel good. And it's lack of all of that. So what, oh, oh, so for 10 bucks or whatever it costs, I can have a few minutes of feel good, of euphoria, so for a few minutes, I can feel like those people I see on TV who have a lot of money and people applaud them and cheer them and, oh, they are admired. So it starts oftentimes, and I'm no expert at this. I'm only expert at one thing. I'm expert at feeling, and I have Tremendous empathy for fellow man. So I visualize people in bars. Why do people go to bars? Why do women give themselves up for men they would normally not give themselves up to? Which people drink, people smoke pot or whatever we as people do. Why do we do that? We are seeking a feel-good that we are lacking in our lives. It's human nature. So what I have in mind with my film is I want to deal with not the negative aspects, but I want what I have in mind, I want it to be about gospel music. I want to hook into visceral stuff because it is in, you know, you listen, and Elvis, and I, and, and, and I, I, 
I spent some time with the man. Well, it was Red West and 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 Elvis and, and I. Um, I got the man, man. The dude. He was a truly spiritual man. And it was when he was confronted with the other stuff, which is superficial, because there's something called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is what is wrong with this picture? I can't, I, I don't, I can't figure it out. I can't verbalize it, but there's something not right with this. So cognitive dissonance is enormously powerful. And how do we deal with cognitive dissonance? Well, some people do drugs, other people do this. And in Elvis's case, he sought solace in what he knew from his childhood was important to many, gospel, faith-based music. So that was his solace. So he knew when he was... uh, taking the B12 shots and, and doing this and doing that. And, and to, and it, it, he had to do this in phases. He had to do something before he started. And while he was singing, it was his voice. And he was concerned about uh, acid reflux. It was so many things. I mean, but because, oh, he had the people out there. He had to be his best for these people, for these people. But when was he him? When was he allowed or when did he take the chance to be his best for himself? Well, his most powerful vocals have always been his gospel vocals. Yeah. So that's what I want to, I want to infuse what I have in mind with gospel. Not, and I'm not a religious guy, man. I, I don't go to church. Uh, maybe I can, some people will fault me for being spiritual. But I embrace that. I like that. But I don't. I don't hail. I don't go to any particular. I don't go to church. Period or synagogue or any of that. I just have a reverence for life. I have a reverence for fellow man, uh, individual man. Fantastic. I mean, what a journey, guys! What a journey we are on. And and we lose sight. Well, we lose sight of it. We 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 denigrate fellow man because they are, they dress so how they talk or whatever. But hey, man, we're all part of the same journey, right? Right. That's powerful stuff. Oh yeah, I've I've never been a, a church guy or you know church goer either. I'm more like you, you know, a spiritual person. I, I feel like I don't need a higher power or you know a church to tell me that that i'm a good person like i i'm i'm with you like i care about my fellow man i and i don't need you know church to tell me how to do that right and and okay so i mean we, we can take that even a step further we have 10 commandments why, why why do we have 10 commandments why don't we have 15 commandments why do we need a commandment why can't we just listen to our inner voice when something doesn't feel right don't do it Right. It's yeah, not that difficult. Yeah, we shouldn't need a tablet that says don't kill people. No. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. It, it, it pretty much is, you know. So 
my pee here is with, so we got these all these organized religions. Why are they there? Are they there to serve mankind or are they there to serve an institution? Aha. So now, oh man, now we're entering into, uh, yeah. But, but so then, so we have these people who go to church on Sunday and they sin all week long. Right. And, and then they bingo, they go back to church on Sunday. Oh, uh, much, much better now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Thank you. Thank you. Got it. Okay. And then, so now and Monday, back to screwing people. Um, I mean, really. We have forgotten to listen to our inner voice. We have forgotten if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, really, I don't know if we can work that into commandments or not. <laughs> well, we could just, just carve that on a rock and that takes yeah, care of it. Right, right, right. Anyhow. Talking about talking about Elvis, <laughs> uh, I just watched North Dallas 40 the other day. And I, I actually, I watched it today. I didn't realize that your co-star in that, Mac Davis, he actually wrote a few songs for Elvis. Oh, Mac is... Wait a second. I think he passed away. Did he? I'm not sure. We can look. Oh, I can look it up quick. Mac is. I hope he is of an enormous talent. 2020, oh. he passed away. Yeah. Oh, did he pass? Yep. And you know, and and while we were shooting the picture, I kind of like Mac because everybody else were doing. Uh, cocaine and and mounds of it i mean oh but he mac didn't do that and neither i've never done that um i always knew uh, i've been on movie sets man they were on one particular movie there were i know there was fifteen thousand dollars worth of cocaine on on a particular table i know that because the prop guy who bought it didn't do i guess we were an anomaly he didn't do cocaine and neither did I. So he he knew I didn't, and and so he kind of confided him. He said, he said, oh man, he says I got to do this every week, man, fifteen thousand dollars, <laughs> and look at look at them go at it. Holy shit! Uh, I have done cocaine in the past, and fifteen thousand dollars is a lot of cocaine. A lot, yeah. That's but this was a, hey man, this was a big per week. It, per week, this was not that as forty. Holy shit! Well, I just like I said, I just watched it today. I could tell you that I could, I could definitely tell that a couple of those guys were on cocaine during the filming of that movie. Yeah, that that is such a that's one of the best sports movies ever made because it's so gritty looking though too. Like those, but it was gritty, man. And that oh, that seventy style of filmmaking is so goddamn gritty that it just makes that feel like we, just like real. Oh, what what's your ambition? My ambition just yeah. to be the be the best I can at what that's I try why. to do. Because I get you're a filmmaker, man. I get I get it. You that's what you ought to be doing. Are you doing it? Because uh, it's hard, and it takes a lot of ambition. And I give those people all the credit in the world. I'd love to make movies. I really would. But so why aren't you doing it? Fuck, I don't know. Fuck it. Maybe, you know what? Maybe this is the kick in the ass I needed, Bo. Well, you know what, man? Yeah. Another another thing that I kind of have latched on to over the years, 
is if you don't know your destination, how <laughs> are you going to get there? By wandering aimlessly in the dark. Good luck. <laughs> and waiting for someone to hand you a fucking flashlight. There you go. That's what most of us do, honestly. I know, and we need to stop doing that. But I do believe we need to begin to really, really, really listen to our inner voice and 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 pay attention. What do I really want? What I, I do forget. I, do? I I forget who it was, but I recently saw a quote from somebody. It might have been Arnold Schwarzenegger that he said there was never a safety net. Like it was, I was either going to become an actor. Or I was fucked. Like, there was no other option. There was no plan B. So he kind of, I think it was Arnold that said, um, if you have a plan B, you've already failed. Which is interesting. Yeah, well, Arnold isn't one of my favorite people. So, um, <laughs> no, too much Arnold. Too, he's too much about Arnold. Uh, he's, he's too much, huh? Too much about Arnold. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you don't have compassion for fellow man, you know, if you don't, if you don't feel like hugging people, he doesn't. It's all, it's all about him. Um, anyway, where were we? All right, so we were talking. I think we were going to something important. Now I forget what it was. Uh, oh, North Dallas Forty. Yes. Right, Mac, wonderful guy. Do you know he he wrote this? Um, uh, oh. Yeah. Now he he wrote some really 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 good stuff. Another uh great great man is Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Why me, Lord? Hmm. Uh, are you familiar with the song? Oh yeah. Yes. You know, so he is the these guys they are institutions really with their artistry um just fabulous but back to mac back to north out of 40 right <clears throat> that was the real deal man um and i was on the line oh uh we played four regulation football games and one of them i had uh, what what's it was it? Uh, Louis Kelcher, um, who was a tackle for San Diego Chargers, and Louis pegged the Toledo scale, and the Toledo scale goes to three fifty. He pegged it, so every so every season when you know they come back from uh, uh, coming back, uh, uh, and when he pegged the scale, they told him uh, to go away until he he didn't do that. Anyhow, so one one of these games, um, you know, I portrayed uh, I, I I was right guard, and I weighed about two sixty because uh, I bulked up a bit for that movie. Um, I went to Gold's Gym three times a day. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so anyhow, so Louis. Kelt that's where you met Arnold, right? What? That's that's where you <laughs> met Arnold, right? Oh, met him there. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Louis Kelcher lined up on, on, on me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So they said, I'm coming in through your fucking head and I'm coming out your asshole. Yep. And he did. 
he hit me, man, so hard I fell over like a dead dog, man. And, and oh yeah, and we had the best time. There was a lot of camaraderie on that movie, and uh, I remember they gave me the playbook, you know, because th- this was real people, man. They gave me the playbook. I'm looking at all these arrows and X's and O's. I had no clue. <laughs> I was. I felt so stupid. So I would go to uh, oh Matuzak. Mm, yeah, Matuzak. Yeah, yeah. I, I said, "Hey, John." He said, and and he, he says, and he says, "I've been." And then he told me that he'd been doing. I've been doing. I've been playing for what eight years. <laughs> he says, "I don't understand it either. I just fucking do what the, <laughs> I do. What feels right." <laughs> Yeah, because he was he was with the Raiders and mm-hmm. kicked from there and uh, Matuze. Yeah, man, did I so? But uh, I kind of liked uh, Matuze, so I brought him home for dinner once. Um, and you know, Matuze, he was six nine, weighed three twenty, three twenty five, whatever. Um, so I brought him home for dinner. Oh, and. Lisa and I, we have two girls, and I think at the time the girls were six and eight, something like that. And and um, and then so after I we ate dinner and what have you. So then I I took Matuzak back to uh, his hotel. So when I came back home, shoot, uh, uh, <laughs> the girls said, "Will he come back?" Uh, uh, again, I said no. Oh, oh, that's the nicest thing he ever done for us. <laughs> not, not bringing Matuzak back. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I can tell you, I played football since the time I was, you know, six years old, all the way to the time I graduated high school. And uh, every I played right guard and right tackle. And every time I would get to the line, I would ask the guy next to me, who am I hitting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never oh, got yeah. it either. <laughs> oh, well, we were thrown out of, we were, we got, we were thrown out of, uh, we were on the way to Dallas and no, okay, moving on. We're going to, to New Orleans. Okay. Went to New Orleans. Oh, we, they don't want us here. Denver. Oh, they don't want us here. So we ended up in Long Beach. And we were uh, asked to leave Long Beach. Uh, and then we ended up shooting at the uh, Coliseum, Los Angeles Coliseum. Well, they kind of didn't like us there either. So we ended up <laughs> shooting a bulk of the movie in at East L.A. College. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Because these were a bunch of rowdy men, you know. Hmm. Yeah. It was... Uh, was <laughs> I have one more question about uh, North Dallas 40 before we move on. Uh, was Nick, how much was that actual pot that Nick Nolte was smoking the whole movie or what? Like what was, you don't know. All right. Cause he smoked, Nick he's smoking is a constantly. Guy. Nick, hey man, Nick is a great guy. He's a very smart guy. And, um, and Nick does what Nick wants to do at the moment, <laughs> you know? And, Okay, we are all entitled to do that with That's our right. lives, right? 
Yep. He is a very smart guy. He's a very caring guy. I I, I just I he's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy. There you go. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's move on here. We got a bunch of uh, fan questions here. <laughs> Tony Derry would like to know what was it like being in the original Inglorious Bastards opposed to the the newer Quentin Tarantino version? Oh, well, well, the original Inglorious Bastard was called Bastardi Senza Gloria. We shot it in Rome, and uh, the director Enzo Castellari is a magnificent guy. Uh, just a fabulous guy. He's not very tall, but he's he's a, like a bodybuilder uh, type, you know. And he's wonderful. He would come to uh, he come to the set, and um, maybe he likes the vino. I don't know. He would come to the set in the morning, and he put a cap over his. Oh, so he would sit down. So the production manager comes up. Okay, allora che fatto? Okay, so they so. Uh, Enzo would have them lay a track for, for the doll, a lay a dolly track, you know, a big, uh, that takes an hour, hour and a half, you know. So then in the meantime, he would, Enzo would sit with the cat down like this. And then they finished and they would say, okay, allora pronto, uh, we're ready. He said, okay, uh, uh, bravo, bravo. Okay, put the camera over here. <laughs> and that was he didn't use the. It, it, that was just a way for him to uh, get get past the night and sort of would sit and think or sleep or whatever he did and work out what he was going to do that day. But he needed that moment by himself without production being on his case. It was a, a wonderful experience. If you if you ever get a chance to do a movie in Italy, then not today. Italy has changed, as has the rest of the world. The Italians say, ogni giornata è come una guerra. Every day is like a war. Um, then it was fantastic. Oh, it was so civilized. People were kind. And, and the Italians, they love making movies. These are not the Hollywood crew where people are looking at uh, and, and uh, shop stewards, union stewards come by and say, anything, uh, is there a problem today? No, 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 maybe not really. Ah, maybe my coffee, the latte wasn't very warm today. Okay, we make a note of that. Um, I mean, in Italy, you know, it's, it's a way of life, man. It, there's a, a happiness in the air and and it was so cool. And I was clueless. I'd only been in the business a couple of years, man. I didn't know what I was doing. For me, it was wonderful. I, I'm the lead banana in this movie with all these wonderful people. Fantastic. And uh, the director, Castellari, brilliant guy, because he would he understood that what was written by some Italian sitting uh in a cafe, you know, doesn't translate very well into a World War II movie with Americans. So Enzo would let kind of let me do my own thing, you know, and 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 write my own dialogue and stuff. I mean, and 
which is the mark of a brilliant, brilliant director. Ted Kotcheff, who directed North Dallas 40, he would, he would, we would come on a set and we would look at the set, okay? And he said, all right, you, you, you know the, the scene? Show me what you want to do. <laughs> so then we, we would do the scene as felt good for us. He said, okay, maybe not so much of this and whatever, right? So great directors understand that the greatness comes from the actors because the actors are highly sensitive to the truth. And oftentimes screenplays don't reflect the truth of the moment or the truth of humanity or the truth of the relationship. Because when the person wrote the screenplay, these were cardboard figures, a man or a woman, cardboard, and they're talking. But then now you get a male actor, you get a woman uh, and a female uh, actor, and bingo, now that chemistry, whoo, shit, it changes things. Mm -hmm. And if you're not smart to appreciate that, Go with that, because that's better than what was on the paper. What's on right. the paper is one-dimensional. What these people are bringing, oh, this is wonderful. This is three-dimensional. I like this. You know what yeah. I mean? So Castellari understood that. Now, the, the original Inglorious Bastards, it was not, it was not uh, great art. But it was as honest a depiction as possible of these human beings being in that situation at that time, meaning we're recreating World War II, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a magnificent experience, largely because of Castellari, but also because for lunch, we got two bottles of wine. <laughs> and... The, Little bento, little box of food, man. And whether whatever it was, it, it, but there was a bottle of red wine and a bottle of white wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and sometimes, hey, are you going to have your white wine there? You're not? Okay. I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> going, going back to what you said about uh, the director, you know, wanting you to play it your way. Or, or say, you know, asking for your advice on how to yeah. how to play it. Yeah. I heard Matthew. I heard Matthew Modine tell a story one time where he said uh, he was trying to get a hold of this director for days on a movie that he was on, and he, you know, he would go to him and say, you know, I really want to talk to you about this scene. Okay, sure, sure, we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. The next day, he would do the same thing. You know, sure. And then it came time to to shoot the scene, and he said, Hey, we never got around to talking about the the scene and how you wanted to play it. And the director said. If you don't know how to play this scene by now, maybe you shouldn't be in my movie. <laughs> yeah. And, the, you know, first off, and this is a very important I feel fact. We become artists because of a deep-seated need to be validated as the persons we know ourselves to be. 
So when we are put in a situation where we're not allowed to be because we have some dictator uh, director, when we can't be what follow our inner voice, if we can't assimilate into that situation honestly, then the result is less than great art. So the better directors are the ones who allow it to happen and then shape it. Then, you know, and, and, and so then it's also uh, insieme, is in Italian, insieme, togetherness. It's togetherness. In other words, you get a whole bunch of artists together and they bring their artistry together and it blends. Ah, hmm. magic, magic, magic. But if any one of those got to do it his way, or if, in other words, they superimpose their ego or whatever into that environment, Bingo. Then the magic is gone. Then you end up with nothing but mechanics. Yeah. Well, so, uh, touching more on Inglorious Bastards, that uh, you worked with Fred Williamson on that movie. Yeah, and I, I couldn't find movies. I couldn't find a number on how many movies that you've been in together, uh, but it's been a lot. Half, I think, half a dozen. And the reason for that is Fred's a very smart guy. And Fred understood that uh, I brought some value, I think financial value, uh, to um, his movies. He made a bunch of small direct-to-VHS kind of uh, uh, movies. And, and, and I was a fool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was a fool, man. So the, the the dude would pay me twenty five or fifty grand to to do a film, and I show up for a few days, Chicago or Dallas, wherever it was. And because I kind of like Fred, but right, and I, I I like him because he's an entrepreneur. Fred is all about Fred. But I, I kind of admire that, too. Why be shy in this life? Why not be who we are? And if we aren't particularly nice people, but we are uh, dynamic and uh, we create things, fine, cool, man, okay, I'll get on that trip because the end, the end result is that there's a piece of uh, film that others will enjoy. So how we get there sometimes it's not so important. Let's let's just get there, guys, and let's let's have as good a, a a feel good experience as possible. So yeah, so I worked with Fred five, maybe six. I don't know how many times. Oh, I have a story. Oh, so um, we love stories. Oh yeah. So two tall Jones. So Ed two tall Jones. What? Wasn't his name Ed Too Tall Jones, right? Yeah. I only know him as Too Tall. 
Okay. So I'm, I'm doing a picture with uh, with Fred Williamson in Dallas. Oh, that's when I met Nicole Smith. Oh gosh, Jesus. So so I'm doing this uh, picture with with Fred, and and Too Tall shows up. Uh, I don't know if he was in the scene or not, but anyhow, I kind of like Too Tall. So I said, Hey, Too Tall. There was a rumor when we did North Dallas Forty that you were going to be in the picture. So he told me that, yeah, so he had been offered, Frank Blondes had offered him, Frank produced North Dallas 40. And Frank and I became very good friends, by the way. He was an independent guy. He was, he was, when he was 29, he was, he was the first um, uh, under 30 uh, person to run the major studio. He was 29. He ran Paramount Pictures. So, uh, but, oh, so when we did the um, team shot for uh, Not That Is 40, Frank sat on my lap. And I, <laughs> I, uh, he honored me by doing that. I, 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 I love Frank. So anyhow, so, we, so, so I knew that Too Tall was supposed to be in Not That Is 40, but um, he didn't show up. And some people said, why? How come Too Tall is supposed to be here, you know? Bubba Franz, uh, who was a, 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 a very fine player with the Rams, uh, said, well, too tall won't be here. We're too tall. Um, uh, well, so then he, I'm working with Too Tall. Too Tall, I think he played a, played a cop or whatever. I said, hey, Too Tall, man, how come you didn't show up in, in, for North Dallas 40? So he said, well... He, it, it was not that he looked around like this, but uh, but it was like he's because we were in Dallas. He said, "Well, you see," and so Tutal told me that he has a chain of stereo stores in Dallas, and so Tex Schramm had called him in. I think it was Tex Schramm. He said, uh, "Tutal, um, do you like it? Because we sh- we did the picture in off season, right?" So, Tutal, um, do you like it here with us uh, uh, in, in, in our cowboy family? Oh, yes, sir. And, oh, oh, you do? Yes, sir. And I understand you have a business here. Yes, sir. It's uh, stereo. Uh, we have bunches. Oh, really? And and you uh, you like your business? Yes, sir. Well, um, there's a rumor that uh, you were considering... Um, appearing in a movie called North Dallas 40, which is making a mockery of our team. So, too tall. Uh, (laughs) You're not really going to appear in that movie, are you? (laughs) And too tall did not appear in that movie. So, anyhow, so... That, okay, that was a, okay. So that was an anecdote because of too tall was in a scene with me in one of the Fred Williamson movies. Yes. Cool. All right, moving on. We have okay. a few more, few more fan questions. Okay. Uh, Ray Ray Brower would like to know: Do you have any good Chuck Norris stories from uh, Delta Force? Uh not really. No. No, uh, cha- I, I, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a martial artist. I, I, I have a 
50-degree black belt in, in judo. I mean, the, the real deal. I actually do. A lot of people in Hollywood claim to be a black belt if it's black. I actually am. Uh, have have that. Oh. Oh, yeah. If you hang on for a minute, I'll, I'll show you some hardware. Um, I've never shown this to anyone. I have them here because of my grandson. Um, he, 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 he likes these things. So, uh, so, yeah. So these are medals. I have won. Uh, uh, USA Judo. I did the... Right. Oh, USA Silver, Gold, whatever. So I have this, yeah. <laughs> this sounds like it could be a cowbell, man. <laughs> that, yeah. that, right. that was actually going to so, be one of my questions. It has to do with uh, judo, your background okay. in judo. Well, where I was going with this, and I got distracted because of the <laughs> cowbells. Um, right. So Chuck Norris undoubtedly is a very, very fine martial artist. Indeed, very fine, very accomplished. Um, and he's done a great job uh, commercializing his uh, martial art skills. Bravo, congratulations, Chuck. And he, and he did a fine job, but did a bunch of movies and whatever. I, but you see, the difference here, man, it's like I got into judo when I was in Japan in 1960. That was five years after the occupation of Japan was officially over. And I had a Japanese girlfriend. Um, I was a Marine at the time. I was uh, with the PMO, Provost Marshal Office, for a while there. So I got into judo. And uh, there were a lot of places where were off limits, uh, you know, Gaijin, Round Eyes, Marines. We couldn't be in certain areas. <laughs> Once I had a couple of drinks and I had my girlfriend with me and, and so a couple of MPs. And I was wearing uh, a yukata, which is a Japanese uh, robe. Um, and a little happy. And after that, I had a Marine haircut, white sidewalk, the whole bit. And then the two MPs came over. Hey, Marine, uh, you understand this area is off off limits. So I I responded in Swedish. Yeah, so yeah, men, I'm in for hands now. They can you? What do you? For so anything? I for so anything else? I and it's a what? What the fuck? I said I I I don't understand. I am from Sweden, but I mean my. My Marine Corps haircut, I mean, it, it was ludicrous. Anyhow, so being in Japan at that time period, I developed a reverence for Japanese life, the respect they have for each other, the respect they have for something as simple as a cup of tea, and, and, and all of that culture. Wow. So... My martial arts, I, I developed a respect for the culture of the martial arts and, and, and what have you. And, and I, so 
for me to commercialize that. Oh, one tar- in one tournament in Yoma- Yamaguchi, Japan, I didn't win. I came in second. But they gave me the biggest scroll. They do it in kanji, you know, make it very fancy, the fancy Japanese lettering, you know. So I get this big-ass scroll, and but I didn't win. So I asked um, the, uh, the, um, the, the translator, I said, Doshe. Uh, and he said, oh, because your spirit, you had the nicest Jap- or most Japanese spirit while fighting. Well, that's pretty cool, man. You know. So anyhow, so that's my martial arts thing. And then over the years, you know, we've added, added, added. So I, I have black belts in a few different disciplines: Shotokan, Shorenru, Danzanru. I, I love that. And 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 I'm really kind of weird, even in in that. When I compete. I don't care if I win. That is so dumb. I don't care. I enjoy the the zeitgeist. I enjoy the feel of it, the dojo, uh, the the whole thing, man. It's it's. I find it all beautiful. So so I. I can't get mean like the other guys do. You know, they get all full of pills and vinegar and the ego and shit. <laughs> I fucking couldn't care less. <laughs> Man, let's, just, let's just see what we can do here with each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> but other people, they don't understand that. Uh, whatever. Have you ever seen, uh, one of my questions, have you ever seen these videos of uh, Steven Seagal doing whatever he does? Yeah, and he's one, of, in my opinion, one of the most deplorable human beings that I, uh, I, yeah. I mean, there is no doubt that as an Aikido cop, he is very skilled, highly skilled. And, and, but the problem I have with him is he has more reverence for himself than he does Aikido. And that disqualifies him completely in my life. Yeah, I, I want that's just I just wanted to get your quick opinion on him because I've seen some of the videos that he does, and it's like, well, anybody could do that that type of stuff if the person that you're attacking is running right into your fists and taking yeah. the taking the bump, you know? Right. So he has no doubt some skills. I've never done my thing with him, nor will I. I don't want to be in the same room with him. That's <laughs> uh, no, anyhow, so, okay. We're, we're, we're moving on. Yeah, moving on. Uh, just one more question about uh, judo. Is it true that you called uh, Vladimir Putin out to a judo fight? I did. I did. I have written, one of the best screenplays I've ever written is about uh, a, 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 an American lady um Rusty Glickman, fabulous Jewish lady. She was tough girl, tough girl. Redhead. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was in Laos. I had been at the Kodokan Yudanchakai, which is a Judah university in Tokyo. 
And some of the guys uh, in my unit, they knew I'd been doing some judo. So we're in Laos, and one of them said, uh, oh, this is a couple of years later. They said, well, hey, Swede, you know, did you hear about this uh, redhead Jewish girl at the Kodokan? And I said, no. What about her? Oh, she cleaned house, man. She, she, um, uh, she's from Brooklyn. She beat up, she beat up all the women in the women's section. So they, uh, so now she is training at the in the men's section. Oh, okay. So then, in two thousand and nine, gazillion years later, a friend of mine, uh, a judo guy, calls me and said, "Hey, Bo, why don't you do a story about?" Glickman, uh, Rusty Glickman. So blah, 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 I got into it and I started to write and I wrote a screenplay and the screenplay won a whole bunch of awards and, and what have you. Um, and so then I thought, no, I don't want to commercialize judo. I don't want to do that. So anyhow, back to you were saying, uh Putin you called Putin out right so while as I had written the screenplay and the screenplay had won a best screenplay New York Brooklyn LA Rome is this uh, Diddleville no this is a, it was called so don't call me sir oh okay about this judo lady so then I contacted Putin um and through the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., back and forth, back and forth. And I wanted him to finance the movie because he is a judo, judo guy, you know? And and Rotenberg, um, Roman, uh, Rotenberg was it? No, not Rome, that's the kid. Um, Boris Rotenberg uh, was uh, Putin's judo instructor in St. Petersburg. And I had met the dude. So. I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for Putin to redeem himself uh, in the world because, I mean, he's been known to be an asshole for years, right? Long before Ukraine. Uh, So I thought, okay, so here's an opportunity for Putin. He's got a gazillion dollars and so do the oligarchs, you know. Okay, so kick in 15, 20 million bucks and then we can make a beautiful movie that pays tribute to this um, American judoka Rusty Glickman kind of Kogi, uh, blah blah blah. Yeah. So then that was. So I didn't get in things. So I says, well, okay. I tell you what. Um, I'm much older than he is. So why don't we meet on the mat? And if he wins, he doesn't have to put up the money for the movie. If I win, he puts up the money for the movie. So that's the background to that's that's what happened. <laughs> That's is the challenge still on the table? Yeah, well, no. Oh, I wouldn't be. I feel I feel about Putin uh, the same as I do about what's his name, Seagal. <laughs> oh, what you don't want to be in a room with him? Oh man, I'd shoot the fucker. If, if, <laughs> oh, if with an up, oh, I'd shoot him. Absolutely, no problem. A- allegedly, no shoot problem. him. You don't want to get in any trouble. What's that? You got to say I would allegedly shoot him, so you don't get in any trouble. Oh, okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. 
No, that's bad dude, man. Bad dude. Yes. Bad dude. All right, we have uh, three more questions here. Captain Veer from Twitter would like to know what was up with the ponytail in Primal Rage. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I put that. That was a false one. Uh, I put in Primal Rage. I never. By the way, I have. I have seen less than a handful of the things I've been in. <laughs> Not interested. I was there when we made it. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it the first time. Well, I never saw that, but I was there. That, that's right. Yeah, All right. Uh, right. So I played a professor in in that thing, and this was in the eighties or nineties, whenever that was. So then, so I yeah, I, I had to put a little ponytail on me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I have. Uh... I have a question of my own here. What's the favorite? What's your most favorite thing that you ever did on uh, on screen? On screen? Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any. I because see, it's not about me. I don't do what I do. It's not about me. I am there, and I. Uh, provide whatever I am to those circumstances and I do the best I know how at that moment with who I am and what I'm what I have with me or what I'm working with. I don't have I have a a moment I'm kind of proud of and ashamed at the same time. I have a tough time. I had a tough time. On some of these movies, man, because the dialogue was so atrocious. <laughs> and oftentimes, they let me fix it. But when I remember there was one time, they wouldn't let me fix it. Because I maybe I, their egos, you know. So I, I acquiesced. So I cut. I couldn't. I couldn't learn this shit if if, if my life depended on it. I just no, I refused. So I cut the script so there was only the verbiage was there. And then I taped it to the other actors. So when it was on when the camera was on me, the other I had the screenplay, I mean the scene on the other actor's face. So I could I looked at it and and then I did my thing. I did my acting, and I the words were there. And, but that actor, I don't think the actor ever forgave me. <laughs> big, big, because yeah, well, he the the actor he had a yeah yeah, <laughs> and I would I would reach over and and I would do this. <laughs> Hold the paper down, so so he didn't. So he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh man. All right, we have we have one more fan question. Judy Henkel right. would like to know: uh, Have you ever considered writing an autobiography? No, no. <laughs> I have considered it. I can't do it, man. I I just can't do it because. It would be all about me. I don't, I don't 
want anything to be all about me. I would, I prefer to stick to having whatever I am benefit others. And so uh, 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 an autobiography, I don't see how it can possibly benefit others because it's all about me. And my value in life is in what I can cause others to do with themselves. Would you ever consider writing like a memoirs then where you just told stories about other people that you've met along the way and the cool shit they've done? No. Again, it would assign a value to me that... No. Hmm. No. Uh, no. It's an interesting question, but that's never going to happen. Yeah. That's All right. A- All right, then. They'll have to go back and watch your podcast interviews. That's right. Are you kidding? I am not going to watch this. No, no. I said your fans, it, rather than read your autobiography, they will have to go back and watch your old interviews. Well, hey, guys, if they don't have anything better to do with their lives, okay, <laughs> fine. They have to take responsibility for that. I, uh, yeah. Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ray, did I miss anything? Not nah, the only thing we didn't get to, which I wanted to say that I really liked as a kid, and I rewatched it recently. And I think it, other than the big dumb white creature that's in it, I think Wizards of the Lost uh, Kingdom is pretty oh, solid work. Wait, wait, wait! Hey, dude, you <laughs> are kidding? No, nah, I'm not kidding. I oh, I have a story to tell you. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I got the time. Oh, Roger Corman. Yes. So Roger Corman took me to lunch along with a writer called Ed Naha. <laughs> and this was, I think, in 1812. Took me to lunch, <laughs> and I had read the screenplay, and, and Ed Naha sitting right there. Uh, and and so Roger says, well, I said, that's fantastic. It's a wonderful screenplay. Ed, I can't, wow, this is just magnificent. Because Core the Conqueror was the, my role. Yep. I arrived in battle. Yes. Sitting atop a winged <laughs> lion. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Oh, fantastic. So <laughs> I arrive in Buenos Aires. And somehow get to my hotel, and this is a, that's a mean flight, man. You have no idea how, how long it takes to get there. It takes a long time. Get to my hotel, and then, oh, okay. And there was the script. Uh, I, so I'm looking at the script. I said, oh, no. I said, I, uh, no. No. I said, I, I, I must be jet lagged. <laughs> I get to the studio the next day, and here was the director. I forget what his name was. Mm. Doesn't matter. No, doesn't matter. But so I said, "Oh, oh, Studio Vidas in Buenos Aires." I said, oh, "This, oh wow, this is so cool, man." It was sort of. Uh, Medieval this and medieval that, and oh, they had all kinds of people there looking 
medieval-looking people. <laughs> and so they introduced me to this itty-bitty guy. He was like 5'5", five, five, weighed at least 320, <laughs> like a plug of a guy, and introduced me to him. He didn't speak English. I said, hello, how are you? What is that? Yeah. Um, so he's going to pl- portray the lion for me. <laughs> he's going to portray the lion. Really? I see. Uh, would you show me, show me what you have in mind? So they gave him two ski poles and they draped some cloth over him. And then so he did this, and and they said, oh, so those are the wings, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And, oh, this was in my drinking days, too. <laughs> that belongs to the story. It's a very, it's an <laughs> integral part of the story. <laughs> so, okay, so, Bo, uh, so would you sit on, pardon me? <laughs> You want me to sit on the... Yes, yes. We, we, we want you to see how you arrive in battle. <laughs> so the dude with the ski poles, who was a wrestler, very famous Ar- Argentinian wrestler, is on the floor on his hands and knees with the ski poles, and they had breaks and shit over him. And I... I started to sit on his back and I didn't. And I said, surely you jest. (laughs) And I'll make a long story short. I told him, we're not doing this. (laughs) But we have to have, you have to arrive in battle with something huge. Right. I'm going back to my room and I will see you in the morning. So then I read the screenplay and I called Roger. Roger, I only see a couple of words that are similar to the screenplay you gave me in Los Angeles. This whole thing, this is ludicrous. I I said, I can't do this, man. This is just, if you don't do it, Bo, I will sue you. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, I really need the business to know that Roger Corman sued me. (laughs) Right. Uh Aha. I said, well, Roger, I need to direct this movie then. He said, fine. I don't care what you do. Just finish, <laughs> complete the movie in five weeks. Well, I comp- so I directed the picture. So I created this. Have you seen the movie? I have oh, yeah. no. I've seen. I saw it as a kid, and I I just watched it again oh, to make yeah. sure I wasn't yeah, imagining was things. A big white teddy bear kind of a thing. There's a big white thing, right? That's like the pet to the kid. Right. I designed that. 
That's insane, man. You were probably drinking when you came up with that, I'm sure. Well, you know, I had to do something to <laughs> make the movie endearing because it was so stupid otherwise. <laughs> and, oh, so Roger Corman had sold me, he said, on the fact, he said, we are filming in one of the world's seven wonders. Cataracas <laughs> de Iguazu. Iguazu Falls. <laughs> where there is a waterfall, 360. Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> anyhow. So, yeah, I did the movie. Oh, so my costume. So then they came to me with these stupid-ass pants. I said, no, no, no. No, no, this guy's going to be, he's going to be a Scotsman. Yeah. So I wore, I, I said, I'm just going to wear a skirt. And so when Roger heard about that, he called. He said, I can't not have you. And Roger gets very dignified. I cannot have you, my leading man, wear a skirt. I said, well, Sean Connery does. Uh, anyhow, yeah. So you saw that movie? Absolutely. You know what's even, you know what's even crazier, though? Well, I know about Andy and the Airwave Rangers, which they just used footage from all those different movies and had a kid get sucked into the TV. And Core the Conqueror is in those movies, in that movie. But it's just old footage of you. And this kid's got like a, a fucking remote control and he shoots shit out of it. They just used old footage from all these other movies. It's the craziest shit I ever found. And I'm not getting paid for that. Probably not, because <laughs> yeah. it's all just... It's all Roger Corman's old movies. Oh, man. Oh, it's a Roger Corman movie? That I, they I think pulled? so, because all oh, the yeah. movies that they cut from, it's originally called uh, Andy Colby's Incredible Adventure. Oh, I've seen that somehow. Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen my name associated with that. Yes, because <laughs> they took the footage from that movie, uh, the, lo- <laughs> the the well, Wizards movie. for you, man. Oh, yeah. so, then, so then, so I'm... So I'm doing the picture, man. And I said, oh, I can't, I can't, I, I got to get out of here, man. This is just nuts, man. This is like, <laughs> like oh, I, oh, this is crazy. And there was a little bitty kid in the movie. And, oh, and, oh, and this was, no, 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 no. I need to get out of here. <laughs> and I had another film, uh, uh, um, an Italian film was going to start in, in, in uh, Arizona. Right, right after I was going back to back, you know. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, I wrapped a picture a week early. I shot everything, <laughs> shot it up, everything. All the producers, the Argentinian producers, they were so happy. They were probably also happy to see me leave. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, so I, I wrapped a picture early. Roger docked my salary by a week. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. I saved the production a lot of money. Oh, oh! So I and it was a scene in the movie where there were some little minions doing fighting or whatever, and then they all oh, they captured me. That's what it was. So I had them do high fives. <laughs> so Roger called and he said, "Ah, oh, oh, we we can't have uh, uh, that guy's doing high fives. But I said, hey, Roger, it's called character traits. 
<coughs> they're happy they caught me. So they high five. <laughs> uh, it's in the movie. <laughs> oh, <boy. coughs> well, this has been this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug before we wrap? No, <coughs> no I'm uh, plugging. I don't know. I, I don't know anything worthy of plugging other than your <laughs> viewers. Let them plug themselves. Let them feel and follow their inner voices because then I have been of some service. Sounds good. Absolutely. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. You you guys are very gracious. Um, I'm quite grateful to you, actually, for providing me with with this experience. Thanks a bunch. Believe me, the the pleasure has been all mine. All righty. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.